0: Good morning, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. In Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 through 27 this morning. Exodus 2 chapter, or Exodus 6, verses 2 through 27. Please follow along as I start reading in verse 2. Then God spoke to Moses. Telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites. But they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to to, to let the Israelites go from his land. But Moses said in the Lord's presence, If the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me, since I am such a poor speaker? Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them commands concerning both the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their father's families, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak and Palu, Hezron and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their family records, Gershon, Kohab, and Merari. Levi lived 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimmai by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. Kohath lived 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to their family records. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. Amram lived 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg and Zikri, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elsaphan, and Sithri. Aaron married El- Elishaba, daughter of Aminadab and daughter of Nashim. She bore him Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, Aser, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Aaron's son Eleazar, married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the Levite families by their clans. It was this Aaron and Moses whom the Lord told, Bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt according to their military divisions. Moses and Aaron were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, in order to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Please pray with me. Father, we come and we pray as we have already thought this morning, that as we come to your word, that, Lord, you would remind us of the truths of the gospel. Remind us of your promises. Remind us of the redemption that you, have, that you have granted us in Jesus Christ. And remind us of the certain hope that Jesus will come again to call us home. And Father, we pray that you would be at work by your spirit to reveal and remind us of these things today. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I have gotten older and busier, I have come to realize that I need reminders in order to remember all the appointments I have or just to remember all the things that I need to do. It's one of the reasons that I am thankful for smartphones. I can simply set a reminder on my phone to notify me of the things I need to do. I don't know about you, but I even have weekly reminders set on my phone to remind me to do the same thing week after week because I might not remember. And more than once, I have almost forgotten some meeting or some phone call or some place that I was supposed to be, only to have my phone beep at me a few minutes in advance and remind me of that which I was supposed to be doing. Now, there are probably some drawbacks to always having our calendars with us on our phone. I'm not going to get into those drawbacks, but let's just say for now, I am grateful to be easily reminded of the things I need to do. Brothers and sisters, the reality is we are a forgetful people. We often need reminders. We do not just need reminders of the appointments that we have or the the things that we need to do. We need to be reminded of things that we have learned before. And how many of you remember everything that you were taught in school? Kids, how many of you even remember everything you were taught this week in school? For you parents... How many of you have had to teach your kids the same thing over and over again? If you say you've not had to do that, I might be tempted to call you a liar. We need reminders. And this is certainly true in our spiritual lives as well. If you have been here in our study through Exodus, these first 13 verses, or really verse 2 through 13 of Exodus chapter 6, probably sound very familiar. Has not God said all of this before? Has he not said this more than once already? The answer is yes, he has. Why is God saying the same thing to Moses? Why is he saying the same thing to the people of Israel again? It's because they needed to be reminded of who God is, of his faithfulness to them, and of his promises. Remember the context of where we are in the book of Exodus. Moses and Aaron, we saw this a couple weeks ago, they went to the people of Israel and told them of God's promise to rescue them. They had come from Midian, Midian, Moses comes, he and Aaron tell the people of Israel, they tell the leaders of Israel all that God has promised to do for them, and in response, the people worshiped. But as we saw last week, when Moses and Aaron first go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, God says, let my people go, Oh, Pharaoh refused. And he did not just refuse and say no, he made the lives of the Israelites harder. He increased their oppression. He made their slavery worse. And how did the people respond to this increased oppression? As we saw last week, not particularly well. They cried out to Pharaoh instead of the Lord. They blamed Moses and Aaron for the predicament they now found themselves in. And they pretty much forgot everything that the Lord had told them through Moses and Aaron and as we saw last week it wasn't just the the people of Israel Moses himself struggled even though God told him that he would harden Pharaoh's heart that Pharaoh would not let the people go right away well when this exact thing happened Moses expressed his frustration to God and said Lord why have you caused trouble for this people and why did you ever send me Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak your name, he has caused trouble for this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. And Moses himself seemed to have forgotten the word of the Lord. So what is God doing in these verses that we are going to study this morning? I I believe that he is reminding Moses and reminding the people of Israel of what he has told them already, of who he is, and of what he has promised to do. And so, brothers and sisters, as we consider this text, I want you to understand that it is not just Israel and it is not just Moses that needs reminders. You need to be reminded too. You need spiritual reminders. You need regular reminders of who God is, regular reminders of God's faithfulness to you, of his promises, and regular reminders of that which God has called you to do. So, the main idea of this text is you need to be regularly reminded of God's faithfulness and the promises of the gospel. You need to be regularly reminded of God's faithfulness and the promises of the gospel. There are three points, or perhaps you could classify them as three exhortations for you to consider for today's sermon. One, remember God. Two, remember God's commands. And three, remember yourself. Remember God, remember God's commands, and remember yourself. And so, first, we're going to look at this idea of our need to remember God. So, what I first want you to see from these verses is that God is reminding Moses and the people of Israel of who he is. I mean, notice how many times in this text that God says, I am the Lord not going to go through them all, but it is repeated four times in verses 2 through 8. Four times God says, I am the Lord. The Lord is giving consistent reminders to Moses and the people that he is God. He is the Lord. He's giving consistent reminders of who he is. And his character, when, when God says that I am the Lord, this, this character, this name, is directly tied or connected to God's work. And God's promises. So, God also reminded Moses and the people of what he had already done and what he had promised to do, what he was promising to do. Notice how many times God refers to past examples of his faithfulness or what he has promised to do in this text. So, verse 3 I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 4 I established a covenant. Verse 5 I heard the groaning of the Israelites. Again, verse 5, I have remembered my covenant. And then he talks a lot about what he has promised to do. Verse 6, I will bring you out from slavery. Verse 6 again, I will rescue you. Verse 6 again, I will redeem you. Verse 7, I will take you as my people. Again in verse 7, I will be your God. Verse 8, I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 8 again, I will give it to you as a possession. God came to the midst of a people that were in despair. The midst of a people who had forgotten his faithfulness and forgotten his promises. And he gives them a reminder of who he is. He gives them reminders of what he has promised to do. He gave them reminders of his faithfulness. That he had not forgotten them. That he remembered his promises. He had not forgotten them. He reminds them of the things that he has already told them. And in doing so, he reaffirmed his commitment to them. Well, as the Lord is reminding them of these things and of what he has promised to do, I want you to notice as well that the basis of Israel's confidence in the promises of the Lord, the basis of their their hope and their confidence in these promises, was the character of the Lord. It was who the Lord is that was was to be the basis of their hope. And brothers and sisters, our confidence of what God will do is based in who God is. So God begins in verse 2 by telling Moses, I am the Lord. This is the foundational statement of all that will follow in these verses I am the Lord. Over and over again in these verses, God gave his name which his name is really just a description of his character. It's a description of who he is. There is much bound up in his name. We're going to look at this in a minute. And God gave his name as the guarantee or assurance of his promises. Verse 6, Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. In other words, I have shown who I am through what I have done, and that should give you confidence in my promise to redeem you. Verse 8 Again, what is the people's confidence to be that God would bring them into the land of promise? It is the fact that I am the Lord. The Lord himself was to be the basis of the people's confidence. So again, uh, God comes to a, a despairing people. He comes to a despairing Moses and he calls them to take their eyes off of their circumstances Their eyes off of their trouble and to place their eyes on Him instead. To remind them where their confidence should truly lie. Who is their rock and who is their Redeemer? He reminded them that the basis of their confidence was not in their circumstances, it was not in their strength, and their confidence was to be in Him. He is the Lord. I do want to draw your attention to verse 3 for a moment because God says something interesting there. He says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. There's actually two different names of God that we find in these verses, in this verse. God Almighty, which is El Shaddai in Hebrew, and then the second name for the Lord is the Lord, or Yahweh. So El Shaddai, Yahweh. Now, the name El Shaddai, or God Almighty, has reference, as you might expect, based on how it's translated, to God's might and God's power. It communicates God's ability, his, his power, his sufficiency to meet the needs of his people, that he is able and he is willing to keep his, his promises. Now, this name for God is often used in Genesis. He says, I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. Now, the slightly confusing part of what God says in verse 3 is that he was not known to their ancestors, or to Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, by my name, the Lord, Yahweh. However, that name, Yahweh, is used quite frequently in Genesis, over 150 times, actually. So it it does not appear that this name, Yahweh, was a a mystery to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or or something that God was just now revealing. Uh, So scholars have a a few different thoughts on the meaning of this statement of what God is saying here. I, I believe the best interpretation is that in Exodus, God was providing a fuller understanding, a more complete understanding of what it meant for him to be Yahweh. The full meaning of that name was becoming more clear in the events of the Exodus. So in Exodus, God was making himself known as the God who is supreme and the God who was sovereign over all. He is sovereign over Pharaoh. He is sovereign over the gods of Egypt. He reveals himself as the God who was with his people to fulfill his promises. He had promised this promised land long ago. He's at work to redeem his people and to bring them into the promised land. He reveals himself as the God who redeems his people so the Bible is a, is a story of progressive revelation. In other words, God's character and his plan of redemption are revealed over time. Uh, what was known to the people in Genesis was less than what was known to the people who lived in Jesus' time. And so I, I think that's what we're seeing here. The fullness of God's name and his character was becoming more clear here in Exodus. What is wrapped up in this name of Yahweh was becoming more clear. So we have the the fullness of God's revelation to us now in the Bible. We have the complete revelation of God to us now in the Bible. The people of Genesis and Exodus did not have the complete Bible. They did not have the fullness of God's revelation. It was progressively revealed over time. So we might say that God was both reminding Israel of his character and his faithfulness and his promises, but he was also further revealing himself, further giving the people of the Exodus, further giving the people of the Israel a, a, a more full meaning of what it meant for him to be Yahweh. Well, we see that despite God's reminding them of who he is and what he had promised, the people did not believe. Look at verse 9. Moses told this to the Israelites, all that God had just told him. But they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. As we saw last week as as we studied Exodus chapter 5, the Israelites' hope was in the wrong place. They were hoping in a change in their circumstances and not hoping in the God who had the power to change those circumstances. Their circumstances, their oppression seemed large in their mind. And God seemed small. It is as if the people of Israel had taken a telescope or a pair of binoculars and turned them the wrong way around. And so when they they looked at God, he seemed small and distant. He seemed powerless. He seemed out of focus as their circumstances clouded their vision. And so as God comes and reminds them of who he is and what he has promised to do, it was as if their phones were on silent. They did not get the reminder. They did not listen because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Brothers and sisters, I think this is a good time to stop and ask, what clouds your own vision of God? What is it that in your mind makes God seem small and distant? What makes God seem powerless, unable, or unwilling to fulfill his promises? As I asked last week, where are you placing your hope? It is, is it in a change of circumstance, or is it in the God who has the power to change those circumstances? And even as I say that, I want to warn you against the temptation to think, oh, if I just, if I just trust God, if I just believe enough, everything in my life is going to magically get better. That's the key to making my life better, just to have faith in the Lord, and then he's going to make all my circumstances just the way that I want them. That's just another way of placing your hope in your circumstances. Remember, God had told Israel and God had told Moses that Pharaoh would not listen. God had promised to redeem them, but he had told them it would not happen at first. Christian, as we looked at last week, God has told you not to set your hope on a change in your earthly circumstances. Your hope is to be on the grace that would be brought to you when Jesus returns. The central, the central hope of the Christian life is a future hope. And the only way that, that you can cling to that future hope is if you have an abiding trust in God, His person and His promises, God's faithfulness. It's only if you truly believe that these light and momentary afflictions are preparing you for an eternal weight of glory. At the moment, Israel was not able to see those things. But look again at what God promised them in verse 7. He promised them that I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God. They would not be Pharaoh's people. They would not be Egypt's people, but God's people. God would call the people of Israel his own. Friends, if you know the history of Israel, you know that though there was always a a small remnant or a small group of people in Israel who truly knew the Lord, the nation as a whole, the people as a whole, they never truly listened to the Lord and believed. Verse 9, the people did not listen, could be a description of most of Israel throughout their history. The people of Israel knew about God. They knew all sorts of things about God but they did not know God. And there is a big difference. There's a big difference in knowing about God and having a relationship with God, in knowing God. Well, turn with me in a, for a moment in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31. So go right in your Bibles a little ways. Well, Israel's disobedience and Israel's failure to fulfill the requirements of the Old Covenant... The covenant that is given to the nation of Israel in Exodus at Mount Sinai. Well, it led God to establish a new covenant with his people. And this new covenant came with the promise that his people would truly know him. So look at Jeremiah 31 starting in verse 31. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, even though I am their master, the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching with them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. Brothers and sisters, this new covenant is the covenant in which Christians live today. This is the new covenant in Jesus Christ. It is the promise that all those who repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ will be called God's people and that they will truly know him because God will have given them hearts to know him. Friends, Jesus came to bring his people out of their slavery from sin, to rescue them, to redeem them by dying in their place on the cross and taking on himself all of God's wrath for their sins. And, brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian, through Christ your sins are forgiven. You are cleansed from those things that cloud your vision of God. Through Christ you are given new hearts that you might not just know about God, but that you might truly know God, that you might be able to call him Father. Friends, if you are here and not a Christian, I want you to know that God has made a way for you to know him. How does this happen? by repenting of your sins and it's by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, it is through repentance and faith that you are adopted into the family of God, that He becomes your God and you become one of His people. And so in these opening verses of Exodus chapter 6, I want you to see that God is reminding the people of Israel of who He is, of His promises, and of His faithfulness. But second, I want you to see that he's also reminding Moses of his command. Notice within God's reminders of who he is and what he has promised, that he commanded Moses to go remind the Israelites of these same things. So verse 6, he's saying this to Moses, Therefore, tell the Israelites. Verse 9, Moses told this to the Israelites. Verse 10, then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from this land. I don't know about you, but uh, I have had people who have not listened to me before. I'm guessing that you have had people who have not listened to you before. And perhaps you have had and encountered people who have not just ignored what you have said, but they have responded harshly when you have come and told them something or when you have come and asked for something. Maybe it was a friend who you were trying to convince not to do something foolish who did not appreciate your advice. Maybe it was a boss when you asked for a different schedule or a raise or some vacation time, some time off, and maybe he responded harshly to you. Maybe a coworker got angry when you asked for help with something. Well, if you have had that or if you've encountered one of those situations, what happens when people do not listen to you? And particularly when they respond harshly when you come and, and ask them for something or tell them something? You get discouraged. You are not eager to ask them for anything else ever again. And it probably actually makes you hesitant to ask others for anything in the future as well. This seems to be what is going on with Moses. Moses himself was discouraged about the response of both Pharaoh and the despair of the Israelites. And in these verses, he seems to be freshly discouraged again when the Israelites do not listen. And he asks God how he can expect Pharaoh to listen if the Israelites would not even listen to them. Moses himself needed a reminder of who God is. Look at how God's instructions to Moses begin. Again, go back to verse 2. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. Before giving his commands to Moses, God reminds Moses of his character, he reminds Moses of his faithfulness, and he reminds Moses of his promises. This is actually very similar to the beginning of Exodus chapter 4. You remember Moses complained about being a poor speaker when God first asked him or tells him and commands him to go back and rescue the people from Egypt. Moses complains about being a poor speaker. What was God's response? Exodus 4.11 Who placed the mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? He reminds Moses that your mouth that you were complaining of being, in which you were complaining of being a poor speaker, I'm the one who made it. I can cause you to speak whatever words in whatever manner that I want. When our verses, after giving Moses this reminder, he recommissions Moses to the task to which he has called him. He is reminding Moses of everything that he has told him. And I have mixed up the pages of my manuscript, or am missing one, so bear with me for one second. Ah, there it is. Ah, there it is. Well, brothers and sisters, what we see here with Moses, that God is giving Moses a reminder of who he is and his faithfulness to his promises before giving Moses his commands. Well, this is a pattern that we see in the Bible. The basis for the commands that the Lord gives to you and the motivation for your obedience to those commands is who God is and what God has done. It's his faithfulness to you. Especially as you read through the New Testament letters, you will notice that before Paul or Peter or John or James give commands to the churches they are writing, they give them reminders of who God is and they give them reminders of what God has done. Most of the first three chapters of the letter to the Ephesians, Paul is reminding those Christians of God's saving work in their lives. And it is not until chapter 4, really, that Paul begins to give any commands or instructions to those believers. We see the same thing in the verses from Second Peter one that Angela just read from us, read for us. You can turn there again, or you can open your bulletin. Well, how does Peter start? Second Peter one one. To those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Reminds them of their God and what their God has done for them. Verses three and four. His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Reminders of who God is and what God has promised to do, what he has given. And only then does Peter get to any commands for this reason, because of who God is and because of what God has done, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. God's character, God's promises, God's faithfulness, God's salvation are the basis and the motivation of our obedience to him. We need to be reminded of who God is and what he has done, and that should spur our love and our obedience to God. It should spur our love and our obedience. The Christian life is about actively being reminded of God's work for us in Jesus Christ. Again, look at verses 12 and 13 of Second Peter 1. Peter writes this, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth that you now have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is difficult, but the Christian life is not complicated. The Christian life is difficult, but the Christian life is not complicated. Much of the Christian life is simply remembering and being reminded of things that you already know. Simply being reminded of things that you already know. Notice that in verse 12, Peter says that everything he's reminding this church of are things that they already know. If you need to set a timer when you put something in the oven or if you put something on the stove, if you need a reminder on your phone not to forget an appointment, you certainly need regular reminders of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are a forgetful people. Our circumstances cloud our vision. We need regular reminders of God's faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, this is one of the wonderful ministries of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Brothers and sisters, reminding you is basically my job as a pastor as I get up and preach each week. I am not trying to, to tell you something new or novel or unique, though I trust and I hope that you learn things about the Bible and about God's Word from time to time. But I'm simply trying to remind you of what the Bible says. I'm simply trying to point you to the truths of the Bible and remind you of who God is, of what he has done, and what he has promised to do. And in the, on that basis, remind you of what God has commanded you to do. And then after doing that, trust and pray that the Holy Spirit will work in your hearts just as I pray that the Holy Spirit will be at work in my heart. Brothers and sisters, this is why it is so important for you to regularly read your Bible and pray. You need to constantly fill yourselves with the truth of God's Word. You need to trust that the Holy Spirit will work through the Word that you fill yourself with. You need to be reminded because there are constantly, there are things constantly tempting you to doubt. You need reminding. Brothers and sisters, this is why it is so important to regularly gather with other Christians in a local church. You need to be regularly reminded by hearing God's word sung and prayed and read and preached. You need brothers and sisters to speak into your life, you need others to remind you to take your eyes off of your circumstances and to place them on Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is one of the reasons that we have men and women's discipleship groups, that we have prayer and praise, so we can come together maybe even more than once in a week and wake one another up by way of reminder. Brothers and sisters, this means that you need to help other people remember as well. That's what Christian discipleship is. It is part of the job description as a Christian that you would help others to remember. You are to help do one another spiritual good by continually pointing one another to the truths of the gospel. Pray that the Holy Spirit will work and use the words and the promises of the gospel to use God's word to help other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ remember. So let me encourage you, if you do not meet regularly with anyone outside the church, anyone outside of the regular Sunday gathering, which is a wonderful thing, Let me encourage you to come to a men and women's discipleship group. Let me encourage you to come to a prayer and praise. Let me encourage you to meet up with another brother or sister in Christ to grab a coffee once every couple of weeks and to pray for one another, to remind each other of the truths of the gospel. Friends, this is to be the pattern of the Christian life, that we are to regularly come together and remind one another of the truths of the gospel. We need reminding. Well, over the the years, I've had a few friends and acquaintances that have sadly drifted away from the faith, who have at one time professed faith in Jesus Christ, but have over time abandoned God and abandoned the church. Well, there has been a pattern in those people who have left, by and large. I do not presume that this is always true. But these people, long before they stopped professing to be Christians, abandoned the church. They stopped regularly gathering with God's people. They didn't see it as important. They drifted, attended once every now and again, maybe bounced from church to church. Friends, it was not a surprise that they drifted away from the faith because they stopped being regularly reminded. They stopped gathering with God's people. It is God's pattern and it is God's purpose that Christians would gather together in local churches and gather with one another to regularly remind one another of the truths of the gospel. We need to be regularly reminded of who God is, what he has promised to do, and what he has commanded us to do. Well, third and finally this morning, the third point of the sermon, the third exhortation is to remember yourself. So I want to turn your attention to the genealogy that is included in verses 14 through 27. Uh, We're not going to go back and read through all those names. I was glad that I didn't horribly mispronounce, or I may have horribly mispronounced them once, so I'm not going to chance fate by reading through them again. But I think we're tempted to skim genealogies when we come to them in the Bible. But let me encourage you to, to stop when you come to a genealogy in Scripture and just ask the question, why is it there? What purpose is it serving? God had a reason for putting this genealogy here. In this case, for this genealogy, I believe it's highlighting God's power and the insufficiency of Moses and Aaron. It highlights God's sovereign work of choosing and electing Moses for his task, not because Moses was so great, but to highlight God's power and God's glory. As Walter Kaiser put it in his commentary on Exodus, he writes this, everything in the list suggests that God's choosing of Moses had nothing to do with natural advantage or ability. The making of this same Moses and Aaron, which is a reference to verse 26, the making of this same Moses and Aaron and the uses they are put to after they are made are totally the work of God. There is nothing left for them to claim or boast about in their pedigree. First, in this genealogy, notice that Moses and Aaron did not descend from the firstborn of the family. The place you might expect. The place of strength and, and prominence. No, they did not come from Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob. They did not even come from Simeon, the secondborn. And Moses and Aaron came from the sons of Levi, the thirdborn, as we see in verse 16. Moses himself is not the firstborn in his own family. He's the thirdborn. He's the secondborn son. The, the, first, the privilege of firstborn son belonged to Aaron. Aaron. God chose Moses to be the leader of his people. Brothers and sisters, this is God's pattern. He chose Abraham out of the nations. He chose Jacob, though his brother Esau was born first. He chose Joseph, though he was the second youngest of Jacob's children. He chose Moses. He chose Israel, though they were not the most powerful or numerous nation on the earth. He chose King David, though David was the youngest son of his father's family. Jesus himself comes from the line of Judah, the fourthborn of Jacob. Now, brothers and sisters, why does God work in these ways? As we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29, brothers and sisters, consider your calling for salvation. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. So that no one may boast in his glory. My friends, God works this way. God chooses the weak and the insignificant. Those who are not strong, those who are not of noble birth to show his power and glory. A Christian, God did not save you because of your great power or your greatness. God did not save you because of all that you could add to the church or all that you could add to his kingdom. He did not need you. He chose you that his power and his glory might be displayed in your life. Brothers and sisters, when you truly know God, when you truly remember who he is, you will come to grips with who you are. Foolish and insignificant weak in comparison to God's wisdom and his power and his glory brothers and sisters remember who you are or more accurately remember who you are not this is not all I want you to notice from this genealogy we also see that Moses and Aaron come from a line of sinners to once again quote Walter Kaiser so wicked were the three older sons of Jacob that they each inherited a curse Reuben lost his birthright as firstborn, and Simeon and Levi were denied an inheritance with the tribes and were scattered among them instead. But Levi's descendants, with devotion to God, turned what was a curse into a blessing and used their dispersion throughout the tribes as an avenue of blessing to all through the priesthood and serve at the sanctuary of God. To go back to that first quote, everything in the in the list suggests that God's choosing of Moses had nothing to do with natural advantage or ability. The making of this same Moses and Aaron and the uses they are put to after they are made are totally the work of God. There is nothing left for them to claim or boast about in their pedigree. Brothers and sisters, remember that you, like Moses, are sinners in need of God's grace. The Christian life is a call to remember God and his faithfulness, but it's also a call to remember your own sin. Christians are to regularly confess their sins, to admit their need for God's grace, to cast themselves on God's mercy. brothers and sisters, also be reminded of and encouraged by the fact that, like Moses, God makes sinners fit for his service. God makes sinners fit for his service. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, God forgives and redeems those who are slaves to sin's power, and he calls them into his eternal kingdom. Brothers and sisters, if you are here and you are a Christian, God has made you fit for his service by the blood of Jesus Christ that has been applied by the work of the Holy Spirit. He makes sinners fit for his service, and you stay fit for his service by regularly reminding yourself of who he is, of what he has done, of what he has promised to do of what he has called you to do, and of who you are, a sinner in need of God's grace, a sinner who has been saved by God's grace. So brothers and sisters, if you want to grow in godliness and remain fit for God's service, remember the truths of the gospel. Remind yourself of Jesus' amazing, redeeming work. Let that be the motivation that fuels your obedience. Do not neglect the ordinary means of grace that God has given you to regularly remind you of these things. Do not neglect the ordinary means of grace that God has given you to regularly remind you of these things. God does not give you some, like, spiritual, supernatural smartphone as soon as you become a Christian that constantly reminds you when you forget these truths. But he has given you the ordinary means of grace. He's given you a Bible to read and to memorize and to meditate on. He's given you his word. You can pray to the Lord. He has given you a church where you can gather with God's people. He has given you other brothers and sisters to Christ to help remind you of these things. 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and grace. Christian, he has given you the Holy Spirit whose job it is to remind you. But the Holy Spirit works through those ordinary means of grace as you read his word, as you pray, as you gather with God's people, as you memorize the word, as you get regular reminders of the truths of God's word. The Holy Spirit goes at work in your heart and reminds you of the truths of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, his divine power has given you everything required for life and godliness. He has given you what you need to be regularly reminded of who he is, what he has promised to do, and of his faithfulness to you let